Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. Hey church family, it's great to sort of be with you. Uh, in a digital fashion, wish we could actually be together in person. Uh, it's a strange time, isn't it? It's a really strange time. You know, I was, um, I was in the grocery store on Friday. You know one of those moments where you can see that one particular grocery store has that one thing that's on sale and you really want it, but you don't necessarily want to do all your groceries there. So I ran in, left the family in the car. I'm like heading straight into the grocery store. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get this bacon. Now, I don't know if you guys are bacon eaters, but I got that thick, juicy kind of bacon, and I got six packs of it to put in the freezer. I was excited about this bargain deal at the superstore. And I am like, you know, I'm thinking, man, cool, I'm on speed. I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to exit the store. I'm like, I'm here. Let's go. And then I see one of the longest lineups I've ever seen in my life, and I'm thinking, of course, It's Black Friday, the sales are on, the store is heaving. And there's two lines, you know, there's one for the people who have full carts loaded of stuff, and there's another line for the people that just have a few items. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The express line, the the carts, and it, like these lines are just going, they're going for miles, so I realize, okay, I'm gonna gonna hedge my bets, I'm gonna go for the, 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 I've only got a few items line, and I'm lining up and I'm waiting and I'm social distancing and I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do. And I'm waiting. And then I get to that point where it's like, there's one person and then it's me, you know? It's, a, it's an exciting moment, isn't it? When you've been waiting in the grocery lineup. But you, you know what I'm talking about. It's an exciting moment. And then in walks this guy and he doesn't notice that there's a line. I mean, can you think of anything more offensive in all of human history than someone who doesn't see the line and walks straight past it, straight to one of those self-checkouts? I mean, maybe this isn't the same in your culture, but in the UK, God have mercy on the queue jumper. It is a serious offense to jump a line. And I was there like, "Um, excuse me? You know how you don't actually say anything out loud, but inside you are livid. And you are like looking around for someone wearing a staff t-shirt to kind of be like, and the, the person in front of me whose turn it actually was, was remarkably gracious. And I was thinking, what are you doing? This is your moment. This is what you've been waiting for for the last four and a half minutes. And you're letting someone else take it. I mean, a queue jumper. And then to make matters worse, he'd clearly never used one of those self-checkouts before. So he just sort of looked at it like it was an alien contraption for a while and took forever. And inside, I was like simmering over. You see, There's something, particularly in the British psyche, I'm sure, but maybe it's true for you guys in Canada, that there's something about that queue jumper that is remarkably offensive. I want to tell you a story in the Bible of queue jumping of biblical, eternal proportions. I bet you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you want to turn with me, we're going to look at Matthew 20. 
See, in Matthew 20, Mrs. Zebedee, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, she comes to Jesus and does the most epic cue-jumping maneuver you can possibly imagine. She's like, she kneels before him. She says, would you do a favor for me, Jesus? And he says, yeah, like, sure. What, you know, what's, what's the favor? What are, you, what are you asking for? He says, make, she says, make the decree that these, these, my sons, will rule with you in your kingdom. One sitting on your right hand, one on your left. Jesus says a few amazing things, but then he goes on to say, but to, to be the ones who sit at the highest place of honor is not mine to decide. My, my father is the one who chooses them and prepares them. Now here's the point. The other 10 disciples, this is Matthew 20, 24, the other 10 disciples were listening to all of this and jealous anger arose among them against the two brothers. This is the same anger I felt in the grocery store and I'm, I'm ashamed to say I wasn't more gracious. Of course, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't actually say anything. I just did those looks around. But I can imagine these disciples, these other 10 disciples are like, what? You're trying to, you're getting your mum to go and ask that you can jump the queue, that you can be at the top, that you can be the leader? Jesus, it says, Jesus knowing their thoughts called all of his disciples, all of them aside, and he said this, kings and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects, like tyrants, but this is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others, because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come, he's referring to himself, did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. This month we've been talking about the upside down kingdom. We've been talking about getting rid of the worldly perspectives that we so easily adopt. Getting rid of what we would refer to as like stinking thinking. The wrong kind of thinking that's not kingdom thinking. See, stinking thinking is where we allow uh, human, like carnal, ideological perspectives to determine the way that we think, the way that we operate. Whereas kingdom thinking is informed by the Bible and it's informed by Jesus, his words, his life, the way that Jesus did everything he did. Jesus is the most incredible leader for us to pay attention to. This month we've been talking about loving your enemies, giving and it will be given to you. To find your life, lose your life. And then Jesus went ahead and talked about servants and being a servant, that the greatest among you will be a servant. And he didn't just talk about it once, he talked about it over and over and over again. And this, I wanna to talk today about this dynamic of being servant leaders. Give me one moment to just find my cursor. I'm not sure where it's gone. Here we go. I want to talk about being servant leaders. 
You know, Jesus demonstrated this view of servant leadership when on the night before he was crucified, he knelt before his disciples. And instead of holding up his title before them of Messiah, he held a towel before them. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. And when he was finished, he said this, you've called me your teacher and Lord. And you're right, for that's who I am. So if I'm your teacher and and Lord and I've just washed your dirty feet, then you should follow the example I've set for you and you should wash one another's feet. Now do for each other what I've done for you. See, when Jesus talked about this, he didn't leave any room for a plan B. He didn't put any restrictions in place and say, yeah, be a servant, but um, you know, like you don't always have to be a servant. Sometimes there's a time and a place for not being a servant. Sometimes there's a time and a place for you know, being you know, a leader, a real leader, a snazzy leader. No, he actually didn't put any exceptions in place because for us to be a follower of Jesus We have to understand that leadership looks like service. It's not an option, it's a mandate. And the thing about kingdom principles is they don't just kick in when you give your life to Jesus. Kingdom principles are the principles of the creator, the one who created the world in the first place. And so kingdom principles work whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, so often. And actually, the whole concept of servant leadership is something that there are countless books and conferences and courses on this subject, but famously starting with a guy called Robert Greenleaf, who in 1970 wrote an essay on servant leadership, and it has just gone from there and taken the world by storm in so many ways. But the emphasis, the example of all of this is the life of Jesus, how he led Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not in leadership. This isn't relevant for me. But actually, I'm sure every one of you has a position of influence. Every one of you is influential in your family, in your workplace, your community, in the church. And I want to ask you today, who are you leading? Where is your influence? Who is looking up to you for leadership? And today we're going to talk about five qualities of servant leadership that are unmistakable, that we find in the Bible, and that will help us to become leaders that look like Jesus and the way that he led. Let's do it. So five qualities, and the first is this. A servant leader doesn't seek their own glory. We've been indoctrinated you know, from an early age by society that, that being a leader means somehow getting a gold star. It means getting some kind of form of recognition, um, approval, accomplishment. It's like this path to privilege when you get labeled as a leader in your, you know, your sports team, your school, your family. But a servant leader doesn't seek public approval or position or fame. John 7, 18 says this, the one who speaks in his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, 
and there, in him there's no falsehood. Servant leaders are not gonna be preoccupied with their position, with their visibility. They understand that they're a part of the body, right? In Colossians, or Corinthians rather, it talks about being a part of the body. And, and when we are a part of Christ's body, the church, we don't compete with one another, we actually complete one another. And rather than searching for our own sense of significance, we are to be laying down our lives for one another and being actually content in the role that we have and wanting to steward that role really, really well together. And so when we serve, when we lead, we wanna bring glory to God, not to ourselves. The second quality of servant leadership is this. A servant leader puts others before themselves. You know, research says that the highest performers in organizations are clear about how their work contributes to others. Like I said, kingdom principles work even when we're not even thinking about the kingdom. When we are doing our work, when we are doing our best to actually put others before ourselves, it's enormous. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he famously said this, and it's often misquoted to C.S. Lewis, but he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others before yourself. And actually, Paul said this in Philippians 2, 3, 4. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul also said this in Corinthians, but I I don't want to imply that as leaders we're here to coerce you or somehow want to rule over your faith. That would be worldly thinking for leadership, right? Instead, We are your partners who are here, who are called to increase your joy. Isn't that a fascinating picture of what kingdom leadership looks like? To partner, to increase other people's joy. A servant leader sacrificially seeks the highest joy of the people that they serve. The cost of true leadership is self-interest. I remember preparing to be a father and thinking about, you know, you kind of think ahead for, for what it's gonna be like. And you have all these rosy pictures and you soon realize when you become a parent that it's the most humbling experience ever because on a daily, hourly basis, you're basically challenged to lay down your own self-interest, your own desires, your own will, to to prefer these people that you've brought into the world, these people that you love. And marriage is a lot like this too, when it's done right. I remember, (laughs) you know, so many times I'm thinking, okay, here's my plan, here's how we're gonna execute this as a family, we're gonna get out the door, we're gonna do this, and instead, you know, when I was a single man, it would be like, I'm ready to walk out the door. Shoes on, here I go, door open, I'm gone. As a family man, it's like, Emily, Where are your shoes? Please put your shoes on, River. Your coat is on backwards. I know that's funny, but it's not the day for this. Please put your coat on. Sophia, has anybody seen Sophia? 
where is she? I've completely lost one of my children. And you're like tearing your hair out, but you're realizing I actually need to not think about my own plan and my own agenda right now. I need to think about what's the best thing for these kids and how do I serve these kids? The biggest shock to me of parenting was this. When, you know, I, I consider myself to be quite a clean person. I'm frequently washing my hands. I, 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 really, I really don't like having sticky hands, if I'm honest. And I remember changing diapers and being confronted with the reality that my hands are going to get covered in possibly the worst substance I can possibly imagine going on my hands. And in fact, two weeks ago, I was, I was on a call with Steve Long, our senior pastor. I was chatting to him, and I was looking after my two-year-old at the same time, and I realized that the worst had happened, and this was not a, this can wait till the end of the phone call situation. And really, the phone call was sensitive in nature and I was just like how am I going to juggle these two scenarios simultaneously <laughs> so I go up to the bathroom and I'm trying to like convey love to this child like hey I love you what you've done is not wrong it's totally natural the timing is inconvenient at best but let's let's embrace the moment you know so I'm like in between sentences with Steve on the phone, then muting, and then like putting my two-year-old in the bath and trying to like literally with my hands get them clean. So this is the biggest shock that came to me as a leader was this realization that I cared so much more about my children being clean than I did about me getting dirty. I cared so much more about ensuring that they were well-fed than I did about meeting my own needs for recreation, for, for any of those things. And when I think about Jesus getting down on his hands and knees, and we read about it in John 13, and washing his disciples' feet, they're so confused. They have dirty feet. They're so confused. But what Jesus is doing is encapsulating and demonstrating with this physical act the way that he has led them for three years. He is showing them, I have given my life to make you clean and, and do what you need, serving you at cost to myself, at expense to myself. And when we think about the cross, we realize that that is ultimately what he did. He said, I care more about you being clean than I do about me getting dirty. I care more about you being united with the Father than I do about me being separated from the Father in this moment. Servant leadership is, is sacrifice. Just like Jesus went to the cross. Now, obviously, we're not called to do the same, and I would never imply that, that we could do what Jesus did. But he is demonstrating the way that he day-to-day -day laid down his life for his team, for his followers. So that's why principle number two is there, to put others before yourself. The third quality I want to highlight is this. A servant leader abandons privilege for service. Leadership so often means privilege. 
I'm not sure there's ever been a generation that has considered itself more entitled to privilege than this generation, myself included. But the reality is when we're looking for cash and Cadillacs and cruises and caviar, we're not actually looking to Christ. We're looking for our own comfort. We're looking for our own privilege. Philippians says this about Jesus. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. True leadership is is sacrifice, not privilege. you know, Jesus warned sharply against people using like the, 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 the pagans and even the Christian le- or the religious leaders at the time using their positions for their own benefit instead of for the benefit of the people that they serve. We also see in the life of Paul that he made countless choices to forgo his benefits, to forgo his privileges that could be due to him. He, he abstained from certain foods and drinks. He refused financial support. He worked with his own hands to provide for himself. He went hungry, he dressed poorly, he was beaten, he was homeless, he was disrespected. He chose not to marry. All these privileges that could be due to him that he forgo. And he said this in Corinthians 9, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats someone who can do nothing for him. And Paul, by foregoing those privileges, was demonstrating the nature of Christian leadership, which is to serve, which is at your own cost, at your own expense, to serve. The fourth quality of servant leadership is this. A servant leader prays for those they lead. One of my favorite passages in scripture is John 17. And in John 17, Jesus is praying for all believers and he's praying for his disciples. A snapshot of that prayer, he says, Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you, but my disciples will remain here, so I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that you have given me. Watch over them that they be united as one, even as we are one. And oh, if you haven't dug into that passage, that whole chapter, really, I encourage you to do it. It's this incredible prayer that Jesus prays for us. And we see countless times where Paul says he's praying for the churches that he leads and as he's writing to them. When, when we are serving the people that we lead, it is our heart's desire to see God reach them, God impact them, God bless them, God lift them up, God grow them, God fulfill everything that his purposes say for them. And so we pray for them, we pray for the people that we lead. And the thing is, when we pray for people, we begin to see them through God's eyes and through his perspective. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever felt God ask you to pray for someone that you're like, I don't even like this person. I don't know why you want me to pray for them. What good good are my prayers gonna do? But as you pray for this person, you begin to capture 
the heart of God and the way that he sees that person. And your heart in the process turns. And your heart changes and you want to begin to serve them. And you want to begin to love them and honor them and lift them up just the way that the Father does. So if you're ever struggling with the people that you lead or the people you have influence over, let me urge you to pray for them. There's nothing like it. And the fifth quality I want to highlight of a servant leader is this. A servant leader pioneers to make space for others. When we think about conventional uh, hierarchy, you know, in an organization, we often think about a pyramid, don't we? We think about that pyramid structure. And um, one of the leaders who's probably had the greatest impact in my life is Duncan Smith, who's head of Catch the Fire churches around the world. And Duncan said this to me once. He said, you know, the trouble with pyramids, Ben, is that they're dusty and full of dead man's bones. And actually, if you rotate a pyramid 90 degrees, what you get is an arrow. And we are called as leaders to be at the tip of the arrow, to be moving forward like the cutting edge, the one that is breaking space open for the people behind, carving out a path for people behind. And I so believe this, I see this in the life of Jesus, the way that he led. I see that from the very moment he started his ministry, he was all about making space for his disciples to, uh, to grow, to make mistakes, to uh, you know, learn how to do miracles. He, he invited them to participate in the feeding of the 5,000. He sent them out in pairs and said, go for it, you can do the stuff. It wasn't the Jesus show, it was I have three years to develop you to be the team that is gonna fill the earth with the message of the gospel. Can you think of someone who has more effectively mobilized and developed a team in three years? I certainly cannot. Jesus is the greatest example of leadership. Uh, a, a great modern day thinker and someone I love to listen to is this guy called Simon Sinek, and you may have heard of him. And in his book, Leaders Eat Last, he says this, which I just love. Leaders are the ones who run headfirst into the unknown. They rush toward the danger. They put their own interests aside to protect us or to pull us into the future. Leaders would sooner sacrifice what is theirs to save what is ours. And they would never sacrifice what is ours to save what is theirs. This is what it means to be a leader. It means they choose to go first into danger, head first to, toward the unknown. And when we feel sure they will keep us safe, we will march behind them and work tirelessly to see their visions come to life and proudly call ourselves their followers. I love, <laughs> I love watching Canadian geese fly in the sky. It's part of me truly becoming a Canadian now after living here 13, 14 years. And when I think of my role in leadership in the church, I often think of myself as the lead goose. It's a very humbling thing to say about yourself. Yes, I remember Ben, you're just a goose at the end of the day. And I like to think about it. I want to be the one who is taking the brunt of the headwind, the one who is making decisions that others can't make, and making space and giving a, you know, a draft to the others behind me so that they can fly and they can do so well. And they, they have space to be creative, to, to innovate without the pressure that I'm carrying. 
like I said, we see Jesus doing this and we see Paul doing this. Paul was like an arrow. He was like that tip of the arrow that was moving so fast. Church, 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 church. I mean, he was just an incredible apostle. And what, what happened as a result is he creates space behind him that needs to be filled. He creates a vacuum that, that causes Timothy to grow in his leadership, that causes Barnabas and many others to grow in their leadership. And so as servant leaders, that doesn't mean that we're sitting still washing people's feet all the time. Sometimes it means that we're moving so fast, we create a vacuum that draws others up. Perhaps even ahead of the time that they were thinking about it. Perhaps even before they thought they were ready. But it's drawing them up into leadership. And finally, I think the other part of this to make space for others is understanding when it's our time as a leader to step aside. John the Baptist, you know, had this incredible ministry, of course. And once Jesus started his ministry and came on the scene, John the Baptist said this, you heard me tell you before that I'm not the Messiah, but certainly I'm the messenger sent ahead of him. So it's necessary for him to increase and for me to be diminished. For him to increase, me to decrease. John the Baptist knew he had leadership for a time. And it was his time now to step aside, to pass the baton, and to enable Jesus to have the space that he needed. When you think about your parents, I want you to just ponder for a moment. How did your parents pioneer and go through hardship in order to give you a better life? How are you making room for others in your life to grow and to thrive? Is it time now? Is it time now for you to move faster or to step aside to create space for others to grow? These are five convicting principles and convicting qualities that I read about. And as I've been studying this, I'm convicted myself. Man, I need to grow as a servant. Servant leadership is understanding that First and foremost, we're servants. We're servants who lead, not, not leaders who serve. That is the kingdom model. So that means we're going to embrace short-term difficulties for long-term corporate gains. After washing his disciples' feet, Jesus said this. So now... Put into practice what I've done for you and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. The kingdom thinking is so opposed to that of the world and when we realize that actually God's design is that we embrace sacrifice, we embrace service, but his reward for us is, is untold blessings and happiness. Isn't that an amazing promise? Think about that. It's an amazing promise that Jesus gives us. I think every one of us has an opportunity to grow as, as servants and as leaders. And like I said, you, you may not know what your arena for leadership is, but every one of us has a position of influence and every one of us is influential within our families, our workplace, our community, our church. And I, I wonder if you wanna pray with me now and just invite Jesus to grow us as servant leaders.
Won't you pray this with me? Jesus, help me to lead like you lead. To bring glory to you. To put others before myself. To abandon privilege for service. To pray for those I lead. And to pioneer a greater space for those I lead to thrive behind me. Lord, would you grow us as a church to be a church full of servants. That in every workplace in our city and around the world, wherever you're watching from, that our colleagues, our employers would notice that we have an attitude that is Christ-like, that is there of service. Lord, make us into true servants and may we glorify you in the process. Amen. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.